I love the idea of a forest-themed warlock. You know, uh, my patron is the Great Oak, the one that the Smurfs talk to. Yeah, I like that a lot. That, that makes a lot of sense. Live from the Mundangerous Tunnel Collapse in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 202 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're heading into this deep, dark pit to talk about adventuring underground. But first the rogue traders police the streets in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the sapper digs deep and goes boom in the Character Creation Forge. Are you looking for a great story? Do you love Star Wars? Do you like podcasts? If you said yes to any of these, check out the Redemption Podcast. Well, I have less in my head than you do normally, probably. You haven't met the crew I'm with. Pretty much everywhere we go, our life is in danger. Things didn't explode. That's pretty sneaky for us. That sounds horrible. Yes, please finish up whatever underhanded thing you're doing on the computer terminals at the Jedi Temple. Check out Redemption Podcast at www.redemptionpodcast.com. You know, Shane, I think it's strange that we've now hit the episode numbers that are basically area codes. Uh Uh-huh. It it worries me a little bit. Yeah. Um, It's it's all kind of feeling real now. I am... Okay. <laughs> that's a that's a weird touch point for real, but got it. <laughs> well, you know, and also uh you bought a cat with all that sweet sweet Patreon money. Yep, we are now in possession of a podcat uh which is currently probably making a lot of noise in the background of this track and you- I promise will not be edited out. Uh no, from either of us. Uh you are in possession of a podcat. I am f- Far away at my place, safe from your cat. That's true. Um, also, yeah, there was an article last week in The Atlantic that I thought was really interesting. Um, they do this series on like friendships where um, a journalist talks to a couple of friends about their friendship. And the one they did was on a D&D group, six guys who have been playing together for 30 years. Um, one of their camp, I think they've been doing two campaigns over that time. Two campaigns in thirty years wow. using the same characters. Yeah, one of which is Greyhawk. Okay, it's like okay, wow. Because that was the only and thing another, available thirty years ago. Right. Well, and the other is a homebrew setting where they like they made themselves and the rotate GMs. Okay. Yeah, and I I was just like, this is an interesting introduction for anyone who doesn't know anything about D anD D because you know they they sort of like explain a lot of things for people who don't know anything about what they're talking about, but. You can see that, like, they're definitely old school gamers where they talk about, like, going into dungeons and, like, killing things and taking their stuff and, like, saving maidens from dragons, you know, which is just, like, yeah, the stuff you did in the 80s. Right. <laughs> it's amazing because now, like, when when we started gaming, right, a 30-year group meant that you were, like, pretty much playing D&D from the beginning. Right. Right. Or even uh, when you started, probably was not even possible. Whereas, right, like, exactly. now, like, a 30-year group is somewhere middle of AD&D, right? <laughs> right? Like, they're not even that old school as it goes. Right. Like, they they started after the kids in Stranger Things. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, but it's cool. They like uh, the only reason we're probably still friends after all this time, like real life friends, is is the game because like one of us moved to Germany and Skypes in, and another person is like you know far out of town, and we all have kids, and you know normally you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to get together except that like this is the group and we've always been friends and you know here we are so right. i thought that was cool this is like our excuse to to stay friends when life does everything it can to conspire to prevent that right and i was like oh it's interesting like the spectrum of gamers these days and then they end with a story about how uh one of their characters mouthed off to a sea hag and just she immediately death gazed him and like that <laughs> character was dead forever and i was like all right we're, we're not all that different you know? right <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a lot like something I've done. <laughs> right, right. I think the line was, she, she like asked him to do something, and he was like, "Well, what if I don't?" <laughs> Dead. <laughs> All right. So speaking of uh, bad decisions, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy Second Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Death World Iblis Prime in the frontier city of Meridian, the Rogue Traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra and Prophet. So having established a foothold in the North Manufactories District, the Rogue Traders of Roth Enterprises now set about holding onto it. You're facing down the local criminal element, the Technogangers, as well as the local mercantile guild, the Peacekeepers, and turn your attention to the thing that you should be doing best, profit. Yes, but very so very rarely actually do well. The most interesting part about the, the game at this moment is that, uh, I think, is that you, you shifted us to um, like a, a risk format where like there was a map with territories and we were determining where to expand uh, and like spending resources in order to like buy units. Yeah. So we kind of took a step back from the kind of day-to-day action-to-action, minute-to-minute focus of um, like Dark Heresy. And we were actually using the faction system from Stars Without Number, which I had basically fully reskinned into level-appropriate stuff um, for Rogue Traders. Yeah, uh, and then for a hot second, it was basically like channeling Birthright, where you had the camera focus, like, you know, um, high elevation, looking at the entire map, and then deciding what we were going to do in this particular, like, quadrant of the city. Um, we're we're going to, like, uh, bring in mercenaries uh, to, to police the streets, and, like, how much of our profit factor are we going to put in as an investment? And then suddenly we'd zoom in. Uh, to the character level because like two of us would be like hey we're actually gonna like physically go to this location at the factories to see what we can see and then use Mm -hmm. like um you know interpersonal skills or like perception checks yeah yeah so that's sort of the thing right is like the system is the way of of managing um large groups of people and and like large long-term actions but you always have the option as heroes to zoom in and go do it yourself uh, at the risk to yourself. Right. So on the macro level, we were like, uh, we have that mine that we fixed up after it got exploded by the techno gangers. So let's just put that into overdrive Yep. Uh, and like not focus on it at all because it seems to be working on its own. And here in the North Main factories, um, well, the techno gangers and peacekeepers are sort of turning on each other, which is great for us. Because the peacekeepers had that political machine that they they uh, brought in, which was, I think, really walloped us pretty hard. Uh, so it was nice to have that attention turned toward the techno gangers. And then the techno gangers, in response, formed a, an armed militia, 
to march against the political organizers. It became very Gangs of New York. Yes, that's exactly where the North Manufactories end up. And it gets even worse. <laughs> because, like, while uh, while your rivals are turning on each other, you are now putting all of your newly minted coins into, um, shall we say, establishing law and order. Um, basically, by founding an elite Arbitas training center. Uh, yeah, a police, police academy. academy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, which you know previously wasn't uh, wasn't a district with a lot of police presence. Um, now you have pretty much total control of the police response in the North Manufactories. So we have now gentrified this neighborhood and then established a police academy. We are the bad guys. Oh yeah, <laughs> in almost every story, you're the bad guys. Seriously, I think next we're gonna like close the community center, <laughs> right? <laughs> and like bulldoze some families' houses to build <laughs> condos. This is this is why political <laughs> machines exist: is to resist people like you. Right. We're the bad guys from the Goonies. <laughs> so, armed with carapace armor and stun batons, the rogue traders send their Goonies villain Arbitace forward and into the North Manufactory. And we'll find out what happens next week. So, this week, we are talking about underground adventures. And I think this this is partially inspired by some talk on the Discord channel, uh, where people were saying they were interested in hearing about how to run games or play games in different kinds of environments. So we'll see how this one goes. You let us know, and uh, you know maybe we'll throw in a few others in the future. So I think underground adventures happen a lot in RPGs in general because, like. The question of what lies beneath the earth has always been this source of terror and inspiration for humanity in general. Uh, you've got, you know, in fiction, mole people and hidden dinosaurs who live in like a jungle inside the planet. Uh, Dante put hell itself right in the center of the earth. Mm -hmm. So like, it's no wonder that it's a pretty common setting for RPG adventures. Like all kinds of crazy stuff happens underground. Also, you add in like dark, claustrophobic, you know, just the normal sort of human experiential fears. And uh, underground seems to look real bad. Yeah, yeah. Plus super sexy drow who want to kill you. Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's not so bad. <laughs> right. It has an allure, some uh, allure that I can't quite explain. It, I don't know what it is. At least they talk to you first. <laughs> that might, that sometimes makes it worse. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I'm being eaten, but also you won't shut up. All right. So I think one of the problems with these kinds of games, though, is like it's supposed to be dangerous and alien, right? But too often it becomes just like a regular session of a game, but it's in the dark. Um, you know, if those drow are just taking you down to their very normal Zhao city where there's nothing strange or weird, uh, but just all the politics is drow and spiders, it doesn't actually offer uh, a change of pace. Um, it doesn't make things seem strange or different. You've just sort of like reskinned. Uh, a city on the surface yeah and at a disadvantage for two or three characters in your party when they try to do anything right and everyone else is like ah no all the races have dark vision these right. days in 5e i don't care <laughs> all right so when you are running um games underground there are a couple of things to consider and the first is what is it that's actually down there and i think even before you like try to plan encounters or like send people down there as a GM, you want to decide what it is that they're likely to encounter. And, and the first thing you need to ask yourself is what is the geology of your setting? Because this sets the parameters of what's actually going to be believable for what can exist underground. And it also sets the setting for the tone of play of the type of game you're having while you're down there. 
Yeah, so the simplest geology is the one most similar to Earth, right, is the idea of a solid core. Um, I mean, it's kind of similar to Earth. I mean, the Earth, the earth is flat, but still. Well, right, yes, fair point. Yes. I forgot that you were an NBA player now. Yes, I'm very tall and good at sports, the sports. And name one NBA team? Uh, the, give me a second. Nope, bullets don't exist anymore. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> great good start <laughs> celtics is that one that's yeah one. that's one they're still around nice. yes they're still around <laughs> yep so in a solid core earth uh one not endorsed by the nba uh it gets hotter the closer you get to the core um your tunnels have to be supported you've got gravitational pull at the center right um there is a practical like physical limit to the size of a cave or any type of subterranean opening or cavern yeah, I think this is like the the science fact slash science fiction type game where, you know, you are explorers. Like this is the type of game that's good for survival uh, challenges or like realistic or scientific challenges where mm-hmm. you're you're playing like, I don't know, even like an eclipse phase type game uh, where you're uh, terraforming a planet or like going underground and, and mining for resources and and you actually want it to like feel realistic and you know you have to deal with things like tidal forces and earthquakes and like you can't just dig a tunnel and have it not collapse behind you because like that's not what happens in real life right yeah you have to like pin things and brace them and learn about mining geology yeah and like uh, okay, we've talked about this before in in like survival type games or Dark Sun. This is a particular type of game where you've got to pay attention to a lot of little fiddly bits. And some people really want to play that kind of game. But, you know, a lot of people don't want to play that kind of game. You know, like we just want to dig a tunnel and like go to a place. And I, I don't really necessarily want to worry about like uh, if the geologic stresses at this depth actually make any sense. Well, I mean, that's interesting because... For any of these, right, you can embrace the, like, geological aspect and how natural or alien it feels, but technology and magic are still potentially things. So, thank goodness we invented the, you know, inner inner rotational gravity stabilizer, and now we can have 500-foot caverns and it's all cool, right? Yeah, the IRGS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, and and I think no matter how realistic or unrealistic your like digging adventure becomes, you can always uh, throw in like wacky and wild things to discover down there. Although I think if you're dealing with like solid core planet that like makes sense to like a geologist in your party, then you're probably going to keep the things that you find there adjacent to things that make a lot of sense right so there will be scary subterranean creatures but they'll probably be like crawling and burrowing they'll have like lots of legs and you know they'll eat rock and it'll be a giant centipede or a giant mole you know uh lots of legs and sapient versions of surface creatures yeah so then you have the um underground ecology like the underdark where you just throw physics out the window you might have cold interiors and possibly large caverns like food chains that don't really make sense right how did deep growth work i don't quite get that they're like cattle that live underground and there's no sun and do they eat fungus or do they just eat slaves i I assume they eat fungus okay cool yeah mycoprotein can work i guess but there's a surface area problem right (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, and also where are these fungi like what are they breaking down? There are no trees. Yeah, exactly. There's no there's no there's no microecology to exist down here. Right. So whatever, just forget about that. You know, like it's magic or it's tech or like, hey, we didn't come down here because we haven't explored like deep beneath the earth and we just don't understand how things work. Cool. Right. Uh, you could have entire civilizations down here. And I think the way that these usually end up running is they're either strange mirrors of the surface, you know, like the drow or the Dwergar, mm-hmm. um, evil versions, or, you know, maybe maybe good versions. Like I think there have been um, like old uh, sci-fi novels from like the late 1800s where like inside the earth you have utopian civilizations. Right. Or those civilizations tend to be like completely alien, like they they don't look anything like the way the surface is which i think makes a lot of sense because you know you didn't you didn't evolve with the sun or depending on it right yeah you have like the civilization of uh of psychic mold right yeah yeah exactly like a coral reef but below the surface yeah they don't have legs because there's no point in locomotion because like everything's just rock then you get this type of underground civilization that um, is heavily influenced by the planes. Um, here, anything is possible. And like planar influence can mean almost anything. You know, you get things like the elemental plane of Earth. Um, in Eberron, you've got Kyber, where the fiendish overlords are trapped underground. And like there are pocket dimensions where you can just sort of walk into a place and like there's a castle in a sky uh, or, you know, there's like a an odd hellscape where like a a demon has sort of like mutated the material plane around them. But then also like Dante's Inferno is just inside the earth. Like you walk into the earth and you walk, you like progress through the layers of hell, actual physical hell. Yeah. Yeah. As a kid, that was always like a weird kind of conception. The idea that hell was underneath us and like, what does the ceiling of hell look like? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and it's just like a lake of lava, but then like, doesn't it get real hot? <laughs> where, yeah, where does all the smoke go? <laughs> right. Is there a vent? So I is guess. that what volcanoes, volcanoes are? I guess I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, the ceiling of hell, of course, is uh, stalactites because uh, stalactites go on the top. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's hollow earth. Um, the typical trope here is like the inside of the earth is hollow, and there's like a, a prehistoric world with dinosaurs. Uh, this is really more of like a separate destination. Uh, the underground adventure only really happens like when you're getting to uh, whatever is down there, the the you know the savage lands, or you're trying to escape out of it. So let's talk about some of the challenges that present that we present to the party when we talk about underground adventures. Yeah, first one is going to be traveling, just getting around. Um, you are underground. You you're in a tunnel, most likely. I mean, almost exclusively, you're in a tunnel. Uh, that that goes somewhere and you don't necessarily know where where it goes and i think when you're running this or if you are faced with this challenge in the party typical wilderness travel rules are probably going to apply like you can sort of add on them or subtract from them but like whatever game you're playing you know whatever check you're making or you know mechanic you're using to keep from getting lost or to figure out where you're going that's already built into the game i think you can just go ahead and use that you know maybe it's a navigator or a survival check but remember that in the fiction of the game whatever um 
any any of that action that requires relying on the sun or the moon or the position of the stars or like the wind and the direction that it's coming from or like watching animal behavior or even like looking at trees to see what season it is none of that applies down here yeah but that doesn't mean there's no way to figure that stuff out right you've got right. other skills um geology earth sciences chemistry dungeoneering maybe physics yeah, like, so you can apply penalties uh, if people are trying to, like, say you're trying to make a, a nature check, you know, normally I'd be, like, looking at the the animals and, like, you know, uh, smelling trees and leaves and things like that. Those mm -hmm. don't exist down here. Are you a character who does understand, like, soil mycology? And is that part of your, like, nature skill set? Then great, it works perfectly fine. If it isn't, then you're probably taking penalties. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, like, throw out different options as a player or or as a GM to be like, uh, I'm, I'm a jeweler, but that means I'm actually, like, pretty well trained at, like, gemstones and, and geology in general. I can tell that, like, this is obviously sedimentary rock. Right. That tells me something. I don't know what. I'm not a geologist. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Millions of years ago, this was an ocean. Yeah, right. <laughs> cool. All right, great. <laughs> of course, light and vision are going to be challenges while traveling uh, underground, uh, unless you have some means of mitigating that, night vision goggles or dark vision or whatever. Yeah, I, I think like... There's all different types of vision, I think, is something important to remember. Like, we sort of joked earlier that, like, these days, like, in 5e D&D, pretty much everybody has dark vision, and you, you're just kind of like, huh, I can see in the dark, I don't care. But remember that, like, specifically with dark vision, it's only black and white, you can't see colors, and it's only a distance of 60 feet, which means that if you're in a big cave, you can't see the ceiling and all the horrible monsters lurking on the ceiling. Um, you also, like, can't can't distinguish colors so like maybe it's important to know what color this mold is to figure out if it's horribly poisonous or like we can eat it or if it's hallucinogenic so light sources are important um, and there are different kinds of being able to see in the dark right there's echolocation um there's i, I mean old versions of dnz had infravision and ultravision mm -hmm. and all different kinds of things so feel free to play around with that Another thing to keep in mind is the 3D movement is a little more complicated than it is uh, like underground than it is in just air, right? So it's easy to get the cardinal direction right and then be at the wrong like altitude, right? But it's not easy to just go straight down if you happen to be 100 feet over your location. You've got to find a way further down into like towards the center of the earth. Yeah, it's more like mountaineering, right? Like it's a bunch of switchbacks. Like you, you've got to find a tunnel that goes there, and you know it's even possible that that tunnel is just on the ceiling, and now you're you know half a mile above the ground. Right. Um, but even if you can tunnel, like it's it it's more of a challenge to figure out exactly what direction you are tunneling. Right. You know, like I know this was around here somewhere. Like we're definitely in the right spot. I, I don't quite get it. Oh, oh, okay. We are half a mile above or below it. Yep. Darn. Uh, food and water. Obviously, it's tougher to forage in general. Um, it can be interesting to have there be enough food, but people end up eating strange or maybe disgusting things, bugs, grubs, bioluminescent fungus. Mm -hmm. What what kinds of things is that gonna, are that going to do to you? And then also keep in mind there's the constant risk of running into cave-ins or dead ends so you might um 
go down and find that the way is blocked and have to find an alternative or that you can no longer go back by the way you came because mm. some collapses happen behind you. Um, basically, if you can't dig as a party, then you're entering a maze. Right, and like a maze that can change right. on you. Yep. Uh, and then if you are going to be adventuring underground, it would behoove you to find a way to be able to tunnel. So maybe you bring a burrowing creature or enlist the aid of one or turn into one. Mm -hmm. uh, you can summon elementals often. Um, in you know more science-based games, there are diamond tip drills that might be portable or that you can mount down to the front of your vehicle. And I really like um, sort of throwing, just throwing the problem at the party and being like, okay, you've got to get through this solid stone wall. How are you going to do that? And that gives you a really good opportunity as a party to be like, well, I have all these high level abilities because like I'm a really cool adventurer. Um, a lot of them can be used to destroy big chunks of rock. Uh, it's a really cool way to, to sort of think outside the box. Like I remember, I think I mentioned this before. One of I had uh, I played in a th third edition D&D game where I had uh, an adamantine scythe because, you know, I was an edgelord. Um, mm hmm. But almost exclusively, I use that to dig uh, tunnels or to like open doors. Oh, yes. The scythe, the classic tunnel digging right. tool. <laughs> right. But, you know, like cutting through rock was was literally like scraping butter with it, you know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it ignored hardness, right? So it's just like, oh, that's gone. That's gone. <laughs> I mean, seems like it would have been easier to get like an adamantine pick or something but yeah sure you stick with that sure but i didn't have one of those did i <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's talk about what kind of encounters uh parties run into underground so i think one of the mistakes people make is having you face the same kinds of creatures that you do on the surface like underground you should face different enemies uh, it's a chance to have a completely like different flavor of game um, and I think this is important even if the PCs themselves are subterranean in origin. Like, yeah, okay, you're playing Swerfneblin and like dwarves who are very comfortable being underground, but the players are not. Like, all the people playing D&D &D are used to like there being a sun overhead, an open sky. And this is a, a chance for you to really sort of stress um, what it's like being underground and what it's like feeling claustrophobic and like there's no wind down here or if right. there is wind it's coming from one direction and it's coming really fast because it's basically like a flash flood of air yep the other thing to keep in mind is that things should be weirder and more alien the further you move from the surface um usually we we want to emphasize that by making things bigger <laughs> though if you're trying for hard sci-fi that probably means they get smaller um, but things like giant bugs or burrowing creatures, you know, aberrations, aliens, planar creatures, as you said, prehistoric creatures, all of those things are, you know, they're more alien because you haven't heard of them before. So naturally, they're a little bit further in. Yeah, like it gets weirder and weirder the, the further down you go. Um, and I think after a certain point, the kinds of creatures that... Um, players are encountering should give the PCs a pretty good idea of um, what the environment is going to be, right? Like if you encounter yet another giant mole, okay, we're actually like probably pretty close to the surface. Um, when we hit the mine flares though, like we're far away from where we started. Oh yeah, that's the third circle. Yeah. <laughs> There's six more to go. 
Uh, besides mindless creatures, there are plenty of power groups that can be uh, beneath the surface. You know, like, yes, it's a dangerous environment and you want to introduce like big creatures that can eat the party because like that's a fun thing. You know, these massive mindless apex predators. But if you've got any kind of civilization down there, it's going to be run by creatures who are well suited to living underground, whether that is because of their biology, because of their technology or because of magic. Or uh, the other thing that happens a lot is that the creatures that are underground might not be adapted for it, um, but they're willing to do it, right? Like the if the if the threats of living underground aren't significant on their own, like the natural threats, then the undesirability of living underground is what you have to overcome. And these are the people who have been willing to do that either because underground was better than whatever was on the surface or, you know, a chance for their own civilization or, or whatever. Yeah. Like I think there's a tendency to make the creatures that live underground evil. Um, mm -hmm. Like that's pretty tropey, but it could just be that they are outcasts for whatever reason, or like these, these are, are the sympathetic uh, creatures or, or characters who just haven't been able to like live free on the surface. Yeah. And I mean, they don't have to be evil to be antagonistic, right? They could be mm. insular. Right, they don't trust surface dwellers who cast us down here two right. generations ago. So yeah, you can have um, basically creatures that live on the surface down here, right? And maybe they were cast out, or maybe like they're just expanding down here, or maybe they're they're suited to it, like dwarves, surf neblin. Uh, in like hollow earth scenarios, you get a lot of humans in the savage lands who are like riding dinosaurs, but like they're just humans who are just used to the idea of living in a subterranean jungle and riding dinosaurs. Right. But then you also get the mirror versions. You get the drow, who are the evil elves, and the dwargar, who are the evil dwarves, who are also, like, randomly psionic. I don't actually know what the connection is between, like, being underground and being telepathic. Uh, it's, I think it's because... I I don't know. I, I mean, because <laughs> it's, it's, it's harder to send, like, a bird, right? To oh, yeah, communicate, that's true. I guess, and that's always like the tropey thing is you send a message via like carrier pigeon. Look, so, I'm glad you didn't do any uh, research. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> they can also be um, completely alien. Like, I touched on this a bit, but you know, if there is a civilization completely like underneath the earth that no one has discovered, then it's probably a completely separate evolution from like humans mm -hmm. or like they diverged a very long time ago. Right. Like the, uh, the mole people in, um, uh, what's the book? It's an HG Wells book. Oh, um, the, the time machine. That one. Yeah. Yeah. The Morlocks. Is that Morlocks. it? Yeah, yeah. Cause that, yeah. they're humans who just were forced underground and then over, you know, evolution became kind of the terrible things that they were. Well, I mean, you know, you have all these delicious LOE running around on the surface. Right. Like, well, why not just eat them later? Exactly. You don't even need to farm them. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, another another trope of aliens is that because um, people tend not to enjoy going into uh, underground environments very much, they might be invaders who are building their power down there kind of out of notice right yeah it's a, a it can be interesting to sort of stumble upon something that doesn't even necessarily have anything to do with it being underground they're just here so that no one no one can find them like what better place to hide right exactly than the sewers 
<laughs> right. I mean, like, here's the Russian missile missile silo, right? Right. Yep. And then I think a very D and D themed um, underground adventure is the Trapped Evil. This one keeps coming back, uh, and I think well, there's been like probably three or four of those adventures just in Fifth Edition alone. Um, but you get the idea of fiendish overlords are down there, or the Tarasca is down there, or you know, um, Tiamat is imprisoned down there, or like creatures from hell out of the abyss, right? Like they're overflowing and into the underdark first um, on their way to coming to the surface. Yeah, they're just passing through. Right. I love the idea. I mean, I guess this is pretty D&D themed, but um, creatures who have been hit with the imprison spell, because mm-hmm. one of the options is like you're sealed away in a location deep below the earth. Mm-hmm. And like you just happen to stumble upon like this place where this person has been trapped in a hellish stasis for 10,000 years. Wait, this place? Or is it like the person who first figured out the imprison spell and taught it to people didn't teach them to send them to different places? So oh, it's just everyone's like everyone who knows in prison <laughs> has been accidentally sending them to the same basic place. And if it's, you, you open one cell, you open the entire like penitentiary. It, it's like Demolition Man. Yes. <laughs> uh, and yeah, Overflow from Hell. Like I, I really like the idea of like a a Christian hell that actually is like down ben- beneath the earth, and like we're just out of room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you got a lot of people uh sort of like expanding uh, on the edges we stuck some people over here like we don't have to poke them every single day right we just stuck them in a room with acid and, and like let them burn right and well now you've let them out good job that's uh your responsibility i don't know if you read that it's kind of like the santa claus but <laughs> <laughs> worse <laughs> so much worse <laughs> you are now a bounty hunter for hell all right, so if we're going underground, we're probably going to be fighting there. So we better be let's, fighting there. Let's talk about how combat is different underground. Hey, it's tight spaces, mm-hmm. tight quarters. Yep. Uh, ranged attacks are going to be much less useful, especially ones where the main benefit of them is being able to hit people before they can hit you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's pretty rare that you're going to be in an area large enough that like having a longbow versus a short bow is really going to matter in terms of range. Right. Uh, also- guns, too. Like, Sniper rifles, not so good down here. Yeah, you've you've definitely got to check your corners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, kiting, of course, is also going to be a lot more difficult. Yeah, anytime your mobility is restricted, right, that it becomes more difficult to keep an enemy at range. Right. Although it, that ri- that like long distance mobility is less important, but the the minutia of like being able to take a five foot step or shifting or like being able to like disengage or move without provoking is going to be much more important because you're often going to end up in melee scrums without intending to. Yep. And then any area effect is going to be inherently more dangerous on account of everyone's going to be in tighter packed quarters, right? Inherently more effective. I think you mean inherently more effective at friendly fire. <laughs> hey, spike growth. Spike growth is the best down here. <laughs> Remember that the the PCs or you as the PCs may be out of your element. So, you know, it's really hard to hide from something like infravision. You know, you can't stop yourself from emanating body heat. Right. Uh, you might up might end up easily outflanked by creatures that can burrow. Uh, they could just like pop in on you anytime and you have virtually no warning because like your, your amazing perception check can't see them coming through the solid rock wall. Right. 
or uh, similarly like anything with meld into stone or that, mm-hmm. um, even like invisibility is just that much more effective. Right. Um, it also means that they can escape. Like if you're in combat, like we're usually used to like fighting to the death and, you know, being able to block off escape routes, but you can't if like this dungeon that you are in, if all the walls are basically like air for a creature that can burrow, right? Like right. it wants to leave. Great. It just digs through the wall. It's, it's really different from a traditional dungeon. Like goblins can't do that. So you can corner them in a room and then finish exterminating them. Um, the the Ankeg can like go out the side and then flank you again and come out the back. Exactly. He just goes underground this time. Or from above. Um whatever system you're playing, take a look at some of the new options that you're gonna have with like gear or spells. And and like, you know, a lot of things are gonna be limited. But other things will get more effective. So we'll look at a spell like uh, Earth Tremor in 5th edition, which um, affects Which would be the first time anybody looked at the spell Earth Tremor in 5th edition. Seriously, right. Yeah, like it's not a very good spell. It affects everyone in contact with the ground within 10 feet of you. Uh, But underground, that's a sphere. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So like you're affecting what, like six times as many creatures with it? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we already mentioned spike growth, uh, all those area effects. Walls, walls are amazing mm-hmm. because like they're area effects that you can just snake along a tunnel and not have to worry about hitting your allies. Right. Another thing to be aware of is that traps are more effective if you don't have uh, an easy way to go around. Um, so either enemies using them against you or you laying traps um, for enemies that you expect to be coming towards you. Yeah, like caltrops. Yeah, those those are cool at low levels, right? Um, but you really have to work hard to get someone to willingly run over a caltrop in like normal D and D, right? <laughs> but the when the tunnel's two and a half feet wide, right? Thank goodness for non-Euclidean movement. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then ambushes. Um, if you are dealing with uh, creatures that can't readily dig like tunnel their way out then you know the terrain if you scouted it um you know exactly where people can and can't run everything is a box canyon so you can set up ambushes at the perfect locations to form a kill box right also gms uh yeah was that advice for players or gms i'm not sure What if we what if we put two kill boxes facing each other and dare each other to step out? <laughs> then it's whoever has invis- invisibility wins. Right. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about some plots that we can run through underground adventures. Yeah, I think I think the important thing to remember here is that you want to evoke either a sense of wonder, like the strange mystery or the weirdness of things underground, or just terror like the horrible awful abominations down here and the the clawing clawing darkness yeah on that note uh trapped in the dark a uh an inherently terrifying plot uh for underground adventuring but this um you know this could be somebody inadvertently ending up underground or intentionally going underground um and planning to come out but now something has gone wrong and they have to escape uh, the real goal here is just survival, right? 
Right, exactly. You don't have like a, a quest or a, or a target. Um, you weren't prepared for this at all, which is why the challenge is basically like living, um, figuring out a, a way that you can actually like travel and then getting the hell out of here. This is probably something that only takes a few sessions. Yeah, and I mean, this this can be as simple as like, cool, you find a cave for shelter from a storm and uh, a mudslide blocks the entrance. Your only choice is to go deeper. Yeah, um, and you know, it can set up uh longer or more intricate adventures right like this is basically the start to out of the abyss mm-hmm. you know like well, you don't pl- <laughs> quite literally <laughs> yeah i mean you, you wake you up in like, prison you don't like play through a, a cave in you know you just sort of like start in jail right um and yeah this is good if you want to play like a horror type game or if you want to drop a bit of underground adventuring into a more traditional D game uh you don't have to get buy-in for this right it's short um, you're you're throwing uh, obstacles at at your players and, and players. I would say always be prepared for this. Like why were you, why were you not prepared for this? Right. Why don't you have a shovel? It's two gold pieces. Exactly. There you go. I would rather spend my two gold pieces on an extravagant lifestyle than I would carrying around a freaking shovel <laughs> for, for three days. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So another plot that works really well is the emissary to the underdark. Uh, yeah, you've been appointed or sent to go talk to creatures that live underground, whether it's the actual Underdark or, you know, the mole people, whatever. Travel here is going to be much safer. Like, it's much less important to know how much food you've got. Um, you probably don't need to be able to tunnel yourself because whatever's living down there is more than likely uh, getting you to and from. But these alien encounters are really going to be geared a lot more toward the social interaction which is a nice chance to do all these like cultural misunderstandings. Um, you can set up the creatures as evil when they're not actually, or vice versa. It's an, it's a cool way to take the like traditional diplomat or like noble political intrigue plot and sort of like turn it sideways where you also have to deal with um, not really understanding all the nuance of of a culture it's a nice place to put someone who is very well versed in uh diplomacy or like cultural nuance someone who has like a noble background or is like well learned in like etiquette and things like that you know after they've spent a lot of time like being very good at that or having or being successful at that like later on in the game you can flip it on its head and have them like still have access to all of these skills but have to like relearn all of the like proper mores yep and then I think to make this interesting from a like the cultural aspect here is you just want to think about what are aspects of culture that would change if you didn't see the sun ever, right? If darkness was omnipresent, how would you do things differently in society compared to how we do them on the surface? Right. If darkness was comforting, right, it it's safe rather than um, terrifying and unknown. Or like... You know, you don't have as much wide open space as you do on the surface. So everybody has to live in closer proximity. So perhaps certain social norms of like personal space wouldn't or personal property would be less honored. But other social norms would be like paramount, right? Right. Like somebody who needs space must be granted it because you never know when uh, you'll be the one who requires it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. You can go in pretty much any direction you want with this. Why are your eyes so tiny? (laughs) <laughs> right. you're basically blind anyway right. 
next up, there is the classic invasion from beneath our feet. Uh, whether it's giant worms and tremors, mole people again, because, you know, they're, they're very evil. Mole people are terrible. Uh, the party must travel underground in order to exterminate the threat. That's, I think, basically like the traditional trekking underground campaign, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're from the surface. There's a bad thing down there. We're out of our element, so we've got to figure out how to travel. We've got to figure out what we're going to eat. We're encountering all kinds of like weird new creatures and like dealing with the different power groups. And hopefully, someone will be on our side to like fight the one who's actually like um, hurting the the kingdom on the surface. Mm-hmm. But we're basically alone and behind enemy lines. Right. So the next plot point is uh, so something of like the last dark places, right? So uh, once the surface is completely known then the last few things to do is explore the undisturbed places of power down below the surface. Right. This can be Indiana Jones, like um, researching the library of Alexandria that was actually buried rather than burned. Um, You know, there's sunken antiquity. Uh, Or it could be, you know, something amazing that was created down here. I really like this as as a way to do the like traditional heart of darkness uh, Marco Polo discovery game without having to deal with all of the like garbage racism and cultural like appropriation where like you can still have the same kind of game where you're exploring places that like no civilized person has been, but like literally no civilized person has been there, you know? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and this is a good one where like you can tone down a lot of the NPC interactions because it might just be that there are no people to interact with. You're dealing with like crazy waterfalls and and like, you know, strangely resonant crystals and, you know, artifacts from antiquity. And then the last one, um, you can take in so many different directions. There's the journey into hell's heart. Uh, whether you're actually trekking into the abyss or uh, heading into the you know, nine layers of Dante's Inferno. Um, maybe you're on an assassination mission, mission to like kill Lucifer or one of the uh, demon princes. It could be a recovery mission like uh, Orpheus going after Eurydice. Like you're going to find someone's like family member or your lost love to bring them out of hell. Mm-hmm. Or at least bring some information or something out of hell, right? Right. I mean, you could be bringing someone very bad out of there because they're the only person uh, who actually knows how to stop the even eviler threat. Right. Actually, yeah, I really like that idea. Like uh, there was um, an informant or a turncoat who was going to like give information so you could, you know, defeat an actual demon prince. But they were assassinated and killed. And of course, their soul went to hell. So now we've got to go get their soul out of hell, even though they totally deserve to be there. Right. Uh, And then, of course, that turns into basically like a journey out of hell. Um, which can actually be even more fun. Like you're here and it's awful and now you're on the run from all of the forces of hell caught on your heels. Yeah, and you can also... Oh, good, nice, hot. Hey! Um, You can also invert that as a journey out um, being you belong in hell, right? For some reason you are a demon or a devil or whatever. Just a very bad person. Some natural inhabitant of hell. Um, but now need to escape to the surface, right? You've turned sides. Yeah, I dig it. A, perhaps a fallen, fallen angel, an unfallen <laughs> angel, a risen angel. 
Uh, okay, so some pitfalls for playing these kinds of games. Uh, very quickly, every tunnel begins to look the same and players can get bored. Mm-hmm. Like every uh, battle map. It's uh, it's this one again. I'm just turning it sideways. Yep, it's mm-hmm. it's the L corridor. Oh, it's the T corridor. Great, Yay. cool tunnels. Hey, I got to use my dungeon tiles over and over and over and over again. Right. You can also run into a situation where the party has figured out their tactics and the enemies keep using the same tactics and the problem is sort of solved and you just keep keep running the same operation over and over again to win. Yeah, we know how to kill the giant millipede or like the sandworm or whatever. Um, and the fourth time you're doing it is just, you just, it gets rote. You're running through the motions again and again. Right. Uh, you can get into a situation where the party has no way to be effective. Um, this particularly can happen if they find themselves underground, uh, unexpectedly, but you know, they could just get in over, in over their heads. They were expecting to like bring climbing gear and like pickaxes. And it turns out that they're fighting demons. Whoops, should have brought some holy water. Yeah, I didn't think of that. <laughs> uh, or, you know, it could be that you have basically planned this uh, underground game and so have your players, but it turns out you're not really spending any time underground. You are in your prehistoric uh, jungle uh, inside the, the hollow earth, right? So now this is, there's no spelunking anymore. That was like half a session in transit and now we're just playing a different game it's like only nominally underground right Right. like the ceiling looks different but otherwise it's it's just a regular adventure yeah and i think this is actually something that like trips gms up is you're like ah this is gonna be an underground game but now i need something cool that's down there but the cool thing is just not underground at all you know we just found a new location and like that's fine but like you should prepare people for it or like as a gm be aware that that can happen to you and suddenly you like didn't get your like trapped in in the dark tunnel fix so to kind of wrap this up ishan what's the what's the longest like most sessions that you've run underground in a campaign oh interesting i'm gonna ignore like a dungeon proper right because like that's sort of a different beast right but i would say probably three to four in a row like i've never done like a, a proper under dark campaign mainly because you know we don't like forgotten realms um but yeah probably three to four and i think that was about the time when people were sort of itching to be like all right cool can we go back to using my normal abilities normally yeah yeah i think that that was our trip into kyber in morning glory mm. i think it was about that long uh um, yeah lots of caves and caverns and then you know aberrations right yeah, I don't think I've ever actually run one um, that spent any meaningful amount of time underground, like outside of dungeons and whatnot. I've gone through Out of the Abyss as a player, um, and that's that's interesting. Um, you know, I mean, that's traditional Underdark, right? That's like right. very tropey traditional Underdark, uh, at least to start off. Right. Um, and, and so, yeah, you get, a, you get a lot of that like drow society um i'm still getting uh, accustomed although i think if you're playing about out of the abyss most people are just like i definitely take uh, a race that has dark vision because i'm yeah. not an idiot exactly <laughs> yeah i think i think it was a tiefling <laughs> all right do you hear that Ishan? no nope i can't because i can't hear directly through solid rock and i'm from the surface so i don't know that i need to put my ear against it all right i think well, we're all dead then it's time to move on to the character creation forge and re-roll characters with blind sense 
But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And don't forget to join the conversation in Discord. The link is in the show notes. So this week, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by D&D Beyond. It's the official digital toolset for Dungeons & Dragons. So you can use D&D Beyond to build characters, track your campaigns, run adventures, share books with your players, and do so much more. Yeah, you can use D&D Beyond to let your GM share books with you so that you don't need to buy your own account. Well, so you're all using the same set of rules is probably the better way to put that. Oh, and the same uh, homebrew items because mm-hmm. uh, anyone can add them and then everyone else can use them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You you can also use like the character sheet is um, both like you set it and then you can also track things against it. So your hit points go up and down, your temp HP get increased and spent, your spell slots get marked, all of that stuff. So it's not just tracking who your character is, but it's also tracking your character through play i'll say this about a digital character sheet there's a type of player who always shorts themselves because mm-hmm. they either forget to level up or they just forgot that like proficiency bonus increases and it adds to all these other things and every single time i am around someone who is inputting their character into a D beyond sheet they go oh my ac is one higher and my saves are two higher yeah my move is always oh that ability that i wrote the name of and didn't make any notes i forgot that that's useful right whoops uh and i think there's also probably another type of player that uh is never shorted on on abilities and maybe i don't know did the math wrong and their ac is a little bit too high Mm -hmm. you know because they did the math wrong that's probably it by accident of course yes uh those people can also use the sheet so that they can get their math right so at D&D Beyond, you'll also find a bunch of awesome free content like the D&D Basic Rules and articles from writers like James J. Heck and videos from Todd Kenrick. Uh, it's always updating. Uh, when people say, hey, I don't know how to do this and I don't think it can, usually our response is, no, it probably can. Just keep looking around. Right. You have to uh, attune to the item before it shows up. Yep. Add it to your inventory, equip it, and attune to it. And now yeah. you have the stats. All right, so you can check all of that out at gndbeyond.com. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Sapper. Yes, someone who is quite comfortable underground. Mm -hmm. A Sapper, a combat engineer uh, responsible for building roads and bridges, digging tunnels, sometimes getting trapped in those tunnels, and, you know, suffering from PTSD and claustrophobia, Mm -hmm. setting and diffusing mines. Uh, The guy carrying around all of the TNT. Yep, yep. That's the guy who you want to be friends with, but not close friends with. Right. <laughs> Pen pals. Right. Yeah. I will uh, send you a note from London, I guess. Sounds good. Oh, wait, good. no, London probably won't won't be a good place to be, actually. <laughs> Coventry. Nope, that's a terrible place as well. <laughs> All right. What's the build? It is Moon Druid 11, Evocation Wizard 7, Rogue 2. 
All right, so from Druid, we'll get six-level spells, including things like Guidance and Mold Earth. I mean, Mold Earth, right? Like, constantly useful for someone who needs to dig. Mm -hmm. Animal Friendship and Messenger, which is great in the field. You know, you just get a sparrow to send a message for you while you're still lying low and waiting for the tank to go by. Produce Flame for lighting those fuses. Uh, You get Find Traps, which is very important because your job is to find the traps. Yep. Uh, create and destroy water also good for either draining tunnels or perhaps um, defusing a bomb or trap that has been set yeah or if you are stuck underground uh, this way you don't die of thirst (laughs) that helps too (laughs) melds into stone is one of those great spells uh, for um, scouting you get protection from energy and absorb elements which is very important because the bombs you're defusing are probably uh, exploding with um elemental energy yeah those uh those those goblin tinker bombs the worst you uh, also get stone shape and conjure elemental commune with nature transmute rock wall of stone you know all of those things that help you um modify stone to your purpose huh you can or- also wild shape into burrowing creatures like the giant badger you can cast spells like longstride to double your burrowing speed you can turn into an earth elemental eventually. You can also conjure an earth elemental, and uh, they can just glide through uh, solid rock or dig tunnels for you. Yep. Plus, you can turn into a flying creature if you want to do a little bit of scouting, kind of see uh, where exactly those train lines are going. Then with seven layers of evocation wizard, we'll gain the ability to sculpt spells, which helps us not get caught in all those AoE effects. Yeah. You get things like light, in case you actually need to read something underground. Mage hand to set traps from afar. (laughs) Uh, Like we said, invisibility is great underground um, so that uh, you can get by people when there's no way to go a different way. And if you're a certain kind of uh, sapper, you know, there's probably going to be dead bodies lying around. You could always animate them to do the work. Mm -hmm. You know, dig tunnels, things like that. Right. You also get access to Glyph of Warding, which is probably, maybe not your bread and butter, but it's a very important spell in that you can use it to trigger explosive runes. Right. Which is the best way to set a mine because the Glyph of Warding can uh, be set to go off when uh, creatures come near, but you can also have it not be affected by certain creatures. You have smart minds. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, no one wearing one of our uniforms or, you know, no one who's like a member of the resistance. Yeah, the only problem is if you have smart minds, so does the enemy. Oh, yeah, that's very true. But you also have things like dispel magic. And, you know, you can summon animals from the Feywild to trigger mines. (laughs) So, uh Speaking of, you'll also take Rogue 2, uh, from which we will get expertise in Thieves' Tools and Loose Morals. Um, yes. <laughs> we'll also... Uh, ask, ask your GM uh, what skill you need for setting and uh, diffusing mines, if it isn't Thieves' Tools, and also take expertise in that. Right. Um, you'll also have Cunning Action, which uh, can help you double your tunneling speed, since you've got an extra action each round. So for leveling order, we're going to start out Rogue 2, then Druid 6 to get some decent combat forms. 
Wizard 7 to get that Glyph of Warning, and then we will top it off with Druid 11 to get our six level spells. Uh, and I think our capstone is Move Earth. Right. <laughs> okay, Shane, so who is your sapper? Uh, my sapper is a druid um, who has dabbled in the arcane, but ultimately embraced the, the druidic path and has the gross misfortune of having made her grove in the middle of a war zone in, a, in a conflict area uh, between Do you like two my nations. Maginot Grove? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, given that war is going to destroy nature in the area, um, my druid has taken up the mantle as a sapper in order to try to end the conflict as quickly as possible with as little damage to the natural environment uh, as can be managed. So she embraces using arcane magic um, in order to help, you know, speed things along, as well as druidic magic in order to help restore it. I dig. You use the tools available to you. Exactly. How about your sapper? My sapper is a survivor. Uh, she was a conscript, you know, started as a, a petty thief, but drafted into the army and found herself uh, at the well, what she didn't know was the tail end of a terrible war. And so uh, there weren't a lot of people with who were highly skilled left. So she was thrown literally into the trenches uh, and told to fight or die. Um, oh, fun. Yeah. And, you know, she realized the maybe the best way to actually get through this is to not be caught on the front lines. Underground might be the better place to be. Mm-hmm. Turns out that's not really true because dying in a tunnel is not great and the life expectancy is very low. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But again, a survivor did what she had to do. Um, You know, studied druidic magic because... So studied the magic of nature because uh, she realized that that was basically going to be the main thing that that she was up against was not so much bullets whizzing by, uh, but dealing with tunnel collapses and, you know, random being able to divert streams and, and, uh, you know, build fortifications. Uh, and then, you know, uh, became a, a bomb Smith an engineer. And of course in fantasy settings, what is that? But a wizard. Right. All right. So before we wrap up, let's take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more about our rewards, you can check out patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We'll be talking about wartime campaigns, which I guess we already started a little bit here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in the character creation forge? Uh, we're building a scorpion. You know, general scorpion? Yeah. I, it yeah. feels a little bit like we swapped our character creation forges for these two episodes. Yeah, maybe. Scorpion uh, lives underground, right? Yeah, sure. Right. Well, that's it for episode 202 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you this week by Cobalt Press. If your 5th edition adventures take you deep into the dark woods, you'll want to check out the 5e Margrave Player's Guide from Cobalt Press. The old Margrave Forest is an ancient wood filled with magic, treasures, and danger. That's what I look for in my woods, my old woods. Good, because this book gives you everything you need to journey into the Margrave or the forest in your favorite campaign setting. Like the Fangorn? Yeah. Yeah. The Mirkwood? The Mirkwood? Yeah, I'm dropping hot knowledge about forests. Uh Uh-huh.
So you'll also get three new playable races and forest-themed class options for barbarians, clerics, druids, rangers, rogues, warlocks, and wizards. I love the idea of a forest-themed warlock. You know, uh, my patron is the Great Oak, the one that the Smurfs talk to. Yeah, I like that a lot. That, that makes a lot of sense. You'll also find 13 new companion beasts, 6 new feats, and 45 new spells. There are new magic items, including a bracelet of the fire tender, the circlet of holly, and the sickle of thorns. So look for the Margrave Player's Guide for 5th edition at your local game store or buy it online at coboldpress.com. 